0: understand that this is wrong, but in the exam, you will be tested on this. So you have to produce the wrong answer. And this was our, our professor telling us this. And I remember being locked and just thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. So I felt so betrayed by the system that I really started to just feel so confined and wanted to get
1: out. <laughs> Podcast junkies episode 214 welcome back if you are new and this is the first episode you've ever listened to this is the one where we speak to some amazing podcasters in the podcast space old and new Just getting started, podcasting for over 10 years, luminaries in the podcasting space, podcasters from around the world, and this week is no exception. We get to speak to Chavi Sakdev. She is the number two podcaster ever in India, and we get to hear a fascinating story of what's happening in India in terms of the podcasting scene, just how young that scene is, and relative to the size of India itself, it's poised for an enormous breakthrough if it comes anywhere close to what's happening in the United States. Let's rewind the clock a bit and go back to last week. We had a great conversation with Sachit Gupta. He is the founder of Platforms Media, a fantastic and inspiring story of what happens when you chase your dreams, when you follow your passion, when you put in the work, and that's exactly what Sachet did when he lined up and connected with Andrew Warner of Mixergy, which eventually led to relationships and working with the likes of Tim Ferriss and Seth Godin, a truly inspiring story. Uh, it was really fun to have that conversation with Sachet. It's been getting a lot of good feedback, so make sure you check that out, 213, last week's episode. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and the Scarlet 2i2 sound card. Thanks for all the support the team at Focusrite does for this show. We couldn't be happier to have a partnership with them, and I couldn't say enough good things about the reliability and the quality of the sound card. If you are new to podcasting and you're looking for better control over your inputs, clean gains, and the ability to control your outputs as well, which is really important, then I can't recommend the Scarlett 2i2 3G enough. So this week we speak to Chavi And we were connected on LinkedIn. And when I realized the connection that she had to the podcasting world, what a passion she had for podcasting itself, and the stories she had to tell, I quickly realized it was important to bring her on and have her share those with you had a couple of technical challenges which you'll hear about in the beginning but it didn't stop us from moving forward and from having a really fun conversation she has a great energy and great sense of humor so i'm very happy to be connected and hopefully we can get connected in person sometime soon coming up in a couple of weeks is the podfest conference in orlando so if you are planning to be there then make sure we connect the conference has an app on HOVA, W-H-O-V-A. So if you are going, connect on the app and you'll see in the community boards that I've created a board specifically for podcast junkies. And if we can get a couple of people interested, I'll find a spot to get coordinated. If you're listening to this after the PodFest conference, then no worries. It's every March in Orlando, PodFest. And so make sure we meet up at a future one. I've been testing out a couple of services which I'll go into in further detail at the end of the episode. Those are ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies, which is my profile. You can rate the podcast on a variety of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Stitcher. They give you instructions and make it easy for you to do that. So make sure you do that if you haven't already. I have a couple that came in last week. One is from my friend Kavi out of Austin. This is an amazing concept. If you're not rocking with the best in podcasting, Harry Duran and Fam, then you're asleep. Wake up. (laughs) Thanks, Carve. This is from my buddy Clay, Fish Nerds. Harry makes a great show and has a way of getting podcasters to share. Their stories, if you ever get a chance to meet him in person, give him a big hug. He is a great human. Ah, oh, thanks so much. And this is from a podcaster I don't recognize, Annex 65 on Podchaser. Love this podcast. So many fantastic guests from the podcasting world with insights and great tips to share. Harry is a fantastic host and a great interview. Anyone interested in podcasting or people's personal journeys will love this podcast. Thank you, Annex 65 and those last three courtesy of Chaser. The other service that I've been testing out for micropayments is buymeacoffee.com. I set up a page that you can check out at podcastjunkies.com forward slash coffee. And if you've got your own show, I highly recommend you setting up a page, uh, not only on this site, but on the ratethispodcast.com site. This episode is also brought to you by fullcast.co, our full service podcast production company. We help with all aspects of podcast launch, production, and marketing. If you're interested in starting a show, or have questions about an existing show, feel free to jump on a quick chat with me at fullcast.co forward slash chat15. That's chat15. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's find out what's happening in India with Chavi.
2: Chavi Sachdev, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies.
0: My pleasure, Harry. I'm happy to be there.
2: If the listener only knew all the hoops, the digital hoops, the continent hoops we had to jump through to make this conversation happen, uh, I think they'd get a laugh out of it as much as we have so far.
0: Indeed. Perseverance and patience. That's, uh, but that's, that's <laughs> our game, isn't it? <laughs>
2: yes. We're actually uh, having a time-delayed conversation. So for me, it is 10, almost uh, coming up on 10.15 p.m., central time zone.
0: It's almost 10 a.m. here. I'm in Mumbai, <laughs> India.
2: And so we connected through uh, an outreach I normally do on LinkedIn. I, have, I, was doing a, I was just checking back in our history, and I realized it was just, you know, every time someone connects with me on LinkedIn, I make it a, a, an effort to ask people why they connected. And I think it helps to, for me at least, to feel like I have a better connection with the folks that I'm engaging with there. And then you replied, and I think you something in my profile caught your eye. I think uh, that, that was the point. And then we just started a conversation there. So do you use, uh, since that's the point of entry, I like to usually have that as an origin story, but are you normally on on LinkedIn a lot? Is that how you ended up there? And, and just do you usually connect with folks there?
0: I am terrible at LinkedIn. My LinkedIn game is like, was zero <laughs> a few months ago, and then I have been encouraged to actually try to look there for leads, uh, because like yeah. you, I do production work and I also work with bigger clients, not just individuals. So um, I, I, you know, I I think I'm a content person. I would love to live in my little silo in a little cave with just recording equipment and scripts in front of me, and then event like occasionally go out into the real world and collect audio and never have to network. <laughs> 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 but unfortunately that isn't how it works
2: <laughs> i went to a podcast movement uh conference once and uh sarah koenig was there from serial oh, nice yeah it was and she gave she was uh, she was the one of the keynotes and everyone was really it was it was the, as, basically at the height of the serial frenzy oh wow yeah and, and so people were going she was kind of walking through her workflow and there's this one photo of her that says her in her editing studio and it's really a, a a picture of her and she's got a blanket over her head <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I have I have some secrets I share when I do my podcast yeah. workshops about how I record do you know um Ari from um NPR he's got he's got a hashtag I think I think it's called Ari under jackets where okay. he <laughs> covers a lot of stuff in DC and he'll he'll be like yeah. a yeah. briefing or a protest or something And so there's him with with his jacket over his head and he's recording mumbling into his microphone.
2: Oh, that's funny. Very funny.
0: My fort or my blanket is actually I open my closet and then I have saris, which is, you know, our traditional garb. Yeah. And and I have um, pantsuits and uh, jackets. So I park them in the center like Moses and then I stick my (laughs) head into my closet with my script and all my devices on airplane mode and my microphone. And that's when wow. I have beautiful sound in my DIY recording studio.
2: The sacrifices we make for for our, our... art.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And my cats get super curious. What on earth is so exciting back there? She never lets us in.
2: <laughs> yeah, they never want to feel like they they're, they're missing out on something.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
2: So one of the things we started chatting about is that you, you mentioned you teach podcasting in India, and then you're one of the most experienced podcast producers in the country and one of the very few radio journalists and and you talked about some of the series you're producing so immediately my interest was peaked uh, and you were, uh, you made reference to being one of the first podcasters in India as well and so maybe let's start there in terms of like how you know how did you end up in radio, of all things, and then eventually podcasting.
0: So I I did my um, undergrad and grad school in the U.S. and I have a masters in journalism. So I've always always been drawn to storytelling, and I have loved radio. So in the U.S., I had started, I had developed um, a radio habit, and podcasting had started by 2004. I moved back to India in 2007. I'd been away for 12 years, and I think I brought a few things back with me, like a a pretty strong work ethic and a real interest in producing good quality, very uh, well reported journalism. And in grad school, I'd also been on the uh, college radio station of uh, Good News a little bit. So I moved back here actually to work in what was going to be India's first talk radio station. And that uh, didn't, n- neither I nor the station lasted very long. We have a tradition of very music-centric, very Bollywood music-centric mm-hmm. radio here. And there is only, uh, and also by law, we can't broadcast news on the radio since so it's 50. Sorry, this is such a long, long convoluted story. But
2: No, no, no. We, we, the, the good thing is we have time here. So.
0: <laughs> so I was motivated to help launch this station because I felt like my compatriots need choices. Like if you give a child like Pop-Tarts for breakfast every day, when you give them granola or oats, they're going to be like, what is this? I just want Pop-Tarts. So I felt like we had to expand their menu and give them options and hook them to the healthy things by making them interesting and tasty. And that was the premise. It didn't pan out within a few months, that radio station. So it was an experiment. Nobody was doing talk radio in terms of like we were doing panel discussions and opinions which is allowed. You can't have news broadcasts. Um, If you're doing news, you can read out what the Press Trust of India sends you as a press release in the morning. And otherwise, people, uh, all the radio stations steer clear of news and they just report things about Bollywood or cricket. And I'm not even kidding. That's it. (laughs) This was revolutionary. They were talking about other things, uh, but uh, they couldn't sell ads. It was revolutionary. It was novel. But as soon as the novelty dropped, The commercial side kicked in, and soon enough, uh, also I feel like they just didn't have the integrity, uh, the advertising folks pressured the content folks, and it went from being 100% talk to then 80% talk to 50% talk to 0% talk. Wow. And it was rebranded as a Bollywood song music station pretty quickly. So I was, but I'd quit already (laughs) because I could see the trend. And Mm -hmm. so I started to do reporting from here. So there are very few radio journalists in the country because there is no radio journalism. And so I was in a good position to actually report on the country from here. So NPR had a correspondent, Radio France had a correspondent, the BBC had some roving reporters. And so I started doing work for Deutsche Welle, Radio Netherlands, which is also publicly funded, just like NPR and NPR Mm -hmm. and PRI actually they were my best uh, clients at the time and then i started to pitch to radio stations here can i make some programming for you and history science women's stories business whatever and they were like sure if you can loop uh, bollywood into it or cricket so i started podcasting because i felt like mm-hmm. that was at least i could give myself a platform so that in a nutshell is how i started back in 2008 there were there were four other people um working on podcasts. There was one guy who was podcasting and he has since moved to Japan. So I was the okay. second and now <laughs> the last one or the first one standing, however.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the um oldest podcaster, most original podcaster in India that's still remaining in the country. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's me. Yeah. So I started out actually with a podcast monitoring radio because at that point I was really naive and I thought, and I heard that the Ministry of Information Broadcasting India was going to allow news on the radio. So fast forward 13 years later, it still hasn't happened. There's still dangling carrots in front of all of the broadcasters. But at that wow. point, I just moved back and I had stars in my eyes and I thought it was really going to happen. So I was doing a podcast about that. And I also did another podcast about... Indians who had moved back to India to restart their lives, and then did mm. their first music podcast with a live music venue, and uh, yeah, a bunch of other things, and now that's p- finally I do you know what I do, and uh, I have to thank Sarah and NPR for Serial because Serial is actually mm. what was the tipping point in India. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah, it's interesting because that became a tipping point for a lot of folks. You know, there's there's always been w- waves and, you know, people like to think about um, specific times of when the Renaissance, ca- you know, is. Yeah. I don't think there's one place to point to. Obviously, when Apple natively had the podcast app and they put it on the iPhone, that was a huge inflection point because Definitely. Um, it, it was. And obviously, even before then, when Apple. Added, began adding podcasts to the Apple directory. That was a, yeah. you know, another huge one. And so I think uh, Spotify is another uh, mm-hmm. inflection point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's interesting that there's so many different varieties of podcasters because there's people from the... Public radio who have made a big impact. You know, you can't really talk about podcasting without talking about Sarah Koenig or Alex Bloomberg. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I, it, I'm i just wondering now um, what's the latest count of active podcasters? We talked about this previously too. I thought that was interesting. Active podcasters in India.
0: So I don't have an exact number, but I know yeah. it's somewhere around 400.
2: <laughs> Which is really crazy when, you, when because it's I know I know a lot five. of listeners, <laughs> I know a lot of listeners to this podcast who hear the stats you know uh courtesy of people like James Cridlin with pod news yeah. who gives us an, an an update on the heartbeat of podcasting, so shout out to James. It's just interesting because we, everyone talks about the the eight hundred thousand number of active shows in mm-hmm. the Apple podcast directory, but but it's so funny because what that speaks to, it's almost the American equivalent of the gold rush to California. Indeed. Potential, yeah, opportunities and what's capable, and what's possible yeah. um, to, to with the podcasting industry in India. Definitely,
0: yeah. So we there are white papers that um, are predicting a huge boom, especially in the next five years. I think uh, BWC had a... Um, paper out recently but there was you know chatter from the um, industry here saying that it's it's very inflated but um, it's looking hopeful regardless even if you do compensate for any sort of inflation in the numbers i guess we're hopeful i don't know if we'll ever reach 800,000 but we've got enough people certainly in our country
2: yeah <laughs> yeah that's the interesting thing though right because the ability to have an audience, if given the right content, would be open to that type of consumption. You know, there's there's just so many case studies of dramatic changes mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, if you look at South Korea, right? South Korea after the war and now South Korea has a complete technology powerhouse that, you know, happened in the span of, I oh don't know, what was it? Maybe 40? 40, 40 years. 40 to 50 years. it, was, it was been It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So... Anything and and the fact that, you know, almost like Moore's law, things are, are expanding mm-hmm. exponentially, right? You know, so the potential for what's available to a tapped in audience, it seems like uh, you're in the, the, the prime location. You, you know, you have the your the heartbeat of what's what's happening on the ground there. Seems to be just a matter of um, you know paying attention to you know what's what's trending.
0: Well, I think Audible and Spotify are also thinking the same thing, which is why they both entered the market in such a big way uh, in the last quarter of last year in 2019. That's when both came into the country and made pretty big launches and hired a lot of people and set out a, a mandate to produce original content. We have a homegrown company that I think is um, taking it more seriously now because there is international competition in our backyard, boys, to, to take over those ears, and so they want a piece of the pie as well. I, I hope so. Yeah. At the same time, this is something I, I struggle with. What What is the independent podcaster going to do when there are these big big conglomerates, sorry, big conglomerates, and also the news media companies putting out very high caliber content because they can pay for it? So, I, I would like to see the whole ecosystem flourish, and I assume there's room for that, just like in the U.S. or in you know China, even. Where it's happening in a big way.
2: What's really fascinating for me is the this concept of like a, a niching down in terms of the the audience you serve with a podcast, and because we have the ability here, you no, know, there's not a TV show or a movie that probably does not have at least three different podcasts dedicated to it on a regular basis. So if you think about the model, it's really just extrapolating it. You know, if you just dive down, you know, what are the, not to hover in the, in the entertainment realm, but even within Bollywood, you know, the top movies or the top TV shows or the top bands, Mm. like they each one of those could be building up a podcast community of what they're called here or fan casts. Yeah. Um, And it's just, you know, just a matter of like, there's podcasts here on, on crochet, on knitting, Mm -hmm. on motorcycles, on Zen. Mm -hmm. And in that same way, that model could easily be replicated. And it's almost like it's, it's, it feels like a prime opportunity to just claim your space and be, you know, the, the, whatever it is, (laughs) the, the top motorcycle podcast in india <laughs> well we've like got
0: that. we've got one and it is the top motorcycle <laughs> podcast in india <laughs> oh, really <laughs> it's the only one <laughs> so yes early yeah, advantage. exactly absolutely yes yeah yeah i i tell people in my workshops all the time if you i mean just start because at this point you are going to be the only person and even if you're not the only person you're the second or the third person it doesn't matter you are unique if you're authentic you should get listeners for whatever it is we're putting out
2: yeah, we might have to talk offline about a business opportunity there because my marketing mind is already <laughs> All right. well, working. Yeah, yeah, because, it <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so fascinating. So I'm wondering, you know, when you, can you talk a little bit about uh, your original impulse to start your own shows and, and some of the challenges you went through in the beginning?
0: So I started podcasting before smartphones, right? I uh, This was when you needed a cable and you had uh, your phone plugged into your laptop, which was serving as a conduit to download it. But my recording process and editing process hasn't changed very much. Uh, I think that part really could use a massive makeover. It's been the same since 2008, uh, even with new tools out there. So I started doing my own podcasts, uh, one, to grow the supply. Uh, Two, also, I felt I was motivated and interested in the subjects, and I felt like this was a good platform. At that point, I was just indulging myself and trying to make something interesting. But I also realized that it becomes a calling card as a, a business person or as a consultant because people want to know what you can do. And so I, uh, my first few podcasts were really easy. One was a commentary, so it was just me. And the second and the third were interviews. And that, as every independent podcast knows, is you know, the easiest thing to do when you have two talking heads and you can just edit quite simply. Yeah. The features and uh, remote recording conversations I did mostly when they were commissioned, but it has, of course, helped me because it goes into my portfolio and, and it's a demonstration of how rich audio can be as a storytelling medium. So, for instance, in India, because we don't have radio journalism, people don't understand uh, or are not exposed to too much of it. So, you know, they might have heard Serial, they might have heard The Moth, and, and they get that it, it can be just talking voices. But to understand that you can build scenes or do even even fiction, radio dramas like uh, Victoriosity or uh, Limetown is a revelation for people who haven't heard it. Now, I haven't done something that's so produced in,
2: mm-hmm. in Limetown,
0: but at least by putting my work out there, I can show people blueprints. Like, look, it's not that you need 25 people working on a, on a team to do this. You can do this with fewer people and you should really aim for the more difficult, more rewarding kind of podcast.
2: Do you find that that model resonates like something like a Limetown or some of the more, you know, elaborately p- produced shows with music, you know, with uh, the different acts um and how you're breaking up the content obviously following the model of of things that have been successful here in the states mm-hmm. is there an audience for that type of content or is or is it growing Is
0: the audience there definitely definitely everybody I have to mm. or Victoriosity or even these uh, true crime serials that i follow they've loved them and they are they it's aspirational they wanted to do it but what i found is when i talk to people they don't want to commit to producing it themselves because they feel like the cost and time is, is too involved uh, i'm open to doing that and now i think with the bigger players in there because audible and spotify and seven have some money hopefully that landscape will change because there is an appetite in our in our country, the top few uh, genres are uh, include horror, which is uh, mm. like radio dramas. They really are quite produced in sound effects. It's, it's campy.
2: Uh, yeah, the true crime thing always puzzles me because it's li- I literally have zero interest in it, <laughs> and I, I don't understand people's fascination with such a morbid topic. But that's probably a, a separate discussion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually do listen to a lot of true crime, but I listen to many things as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's huge. There's no denying its impact and its reach. And it's, uh, and its visit. quite honestly, there's something to be said for giving people uh, a gateway into podcasting, if mm-hmm. you will, because there's probably people, a lot of people that have discovered podcasting through true crime.
0: Absolutely. Yes, it, it is a gateway drug. And I'm more than happy for people to come to podcasting, however yeah. they come to it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because then what happens is they come into the world of podcasting, they're on, inevitably on some sort of discovery app or the podcast, you know, the Apple Podcasts application and then they just start discovering like, oh, I was here for this and now there's this I didn't even know and I and then they start to broaden their horizons of what of what's possible. Um, and then I imagine it's, it becomes like a self-fulfilling cycle because some of those people then decide, well, maybe I can do a show like this. <laughs> and that's how the podcasters start.
0: Exactly. So I think it works both ways the demand follows supply. And if you have supply, then you will have demand. So everybody who, and that's the beauty of podcasts, there is literally something for everybody. And the more niche you become, the more attractive you are to that one person who wants to hear about, you know, crocheting or riding big uh, motorcycles. None of neither of which appealed to me, but you know, blessed people <laughs> for making podcasts and listening. So.
2: And if you want to go super niche, it's a motorcyclists who knit.
0: <laughs> there is an idea waiting to take off, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, or uh, knitters who ride yeah. one, of the, <laughs> one of the two. So, when you have conversations with folks you know, on the production side now, uh, how are they thinking about what they want? Are they trying to replicate what's successful in the U.S.? Are they using it to build their business, or is it some sort of hybrid in between, or is it purely entertainment purposes? What are you seeing in terms of interest with people who are looking to produce shows?
0: Uh, So, they're interested in replicating what's happening. I think a lot of them At least people who come to me, it's really interesting, have not listened to many podcasts. So they are limited in their vision for what could happen. And most of them think of it as a marketing tool, which is fine. It is a good way to put out a brand, But it is um, disheartening to me how many people just want to do an interview. I can't tell you how many people have come from organizations and said, our idea is for our CXO to interview the CXOs of other companies in our yeah. Know, and I'm thinking, oh goodness gracious, you know, that is the most boring, overdone thing in the <laughs> world. Who wants to listen to those guys talking to each other in this politically correct, shareholder pleasing manner? Like really? Yeah. And so I mean I'm happy to if they're paying me, but seriously, I try to steer them away from that and give them ideas about what else they could do to develop their brand. And and that's not you know, I wish they would just do, I wish they would listen more. So that's part of what I end up doing is a lot of ambassadorship for other podcasts and formats. For, and also funding is a problem. It's it's very early. So for instance, there are many, many people who want to do a pilot and then showcase it to their superiors. And again, I'm talking about organizations. So. Yeah. And then they might get a sign off on it because it's it's new. They understand YouTube They've given them a marketing budget for Facebook now, which seems revolutionary to them. So what is this podcast thing now? And I guess just like um, most of the world, the people running the show are slightly older, more narrow-minded men in suits. And this is not their world. So there is going to be change, but it isn't quite there yet.
2: And are the majority of podcasts or all the podcasts that are currently being produced there uh, English language?
0: Yes, definitely. So there are Mm. mostly English. There's a few in Hindi, just a few dozens, you know, not even like hundreds, very few. Like you could count them on both hands in other languages, Tamil, Marathi, Punjabi, But Mm -hmm. we have 26 official languages. This is purely a market that is waiting to be plumbed. I tell all my workshop attendees, if you speak another language fluently, just start now. I mean, just talk to yourself if you must. But really, it's wide open. So, yeah, it's it's going to happen. I am confident. Uh, I have been waiting for 12 years. I'm not holding my breath, but I think <laughs> closer now yeah. than it's ever
2: been. Do you think part of it needs to be a, a bit of education? Obviously, that was the... I mean, it continues to be a challenge here in the States in terms Definitely. of like even... Yeah, even what is a podcast and and, and how, what's the difference between that and radio and, and just like even just letting people know that it, it exists.
0: Well, I keep seeing the numbers from all the white papers that come from the US and they seem way more encouraging than here. Like 65% of Americans have heard what a podcast is or have listened to at least one up from even last year. So it is exponential. And yes, it's obviously not everybody's listening to podcasts, even in the US where 800,000 podcasts are out there. Uh, here, yes, uh, people uh, just don't understand. And I I know all of us independent podcasters, when people ask us what we do, it's become like a move. We're like, let me show you. And we grab their phone and install a podcast app for them if yes, you know, they exactly. like have one and sort of just get them going. Uh, I can't tell you how many weddings I have like hijacked guests. and, and like, here, let me just <laughs> yeah, you show have you. <laughs> Uh, so I, I really wish the big companies would spend a little more time doing better marketing rather than counting on people just stumbling across them. I don't have the bandwidth or the money to you know, reach them, everybody, but my, I guess the big names do. I feel like they should.
2: Have you seen any interest or attempts at people trying to Gather in any sort of meetup or conference? Oh yeah. Uh,
0: so there have been a couple in Delhi, a couple in Bangalore, which is our tech hub here. Uh, Bangalore actually, I think, has the highest number of podcasters in the country, which is not surprising. And in Mumbai, I have um, been trying to get a community together. I'm hoping somebody else would but nobody else has. So we had a meetup in December, and we're having one next month. And I hope to do it every month. And then I'm going to be in Delhi, so. I'll get some people together there as well. It's yeah, you know, independent podcasters unite. That's
2: exactly. <laughs> so. Independent Indian podcasters unite. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: so. Well, I think it's important because of the size of the you know it's a, just a so small in terms of the, the relative size of the country. It's just, it, even if it's just on a on a country level for now, it's still um, enough to sort of build a following so that. I think in, it's just like the early days of any new uh, endeavor or, or service or, or, you know, tool or product or event. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's the groundswell of the early adopters that really keep, keep the, the flame lit, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. And because it's so wide, it really needs to be a collaboration. There's no competition. The, the space is so welcoming of everybody that I think there's a lot people could get from each other. If they you know, meet up and learn and share tips and tricks and like where do you host and what mic do you use and which closet space exactly. works better for home recordings, you know?
2: <laughs> which blanket works best? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you grow up in Mumbai?
0: I grew up between Mumbai and Delhi, and then I left for college uh, right after high school. I came. I went to the US. What
2: What city did you grow up in? So I
0: grew up between Mumbai and Delhi bombay as it was okay yeah uh so life was good yeah uh we listened to radio a lot growing up but it was Mm. music and uh yeah (laughs) i'm not sure
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know that's a broad question what was the spark where you felt the calling that you needed to continue your education in the states
0: oh so i was bored here i uh so we we have uh, an education system we inherited from the british so it's very uh, deep and wide. So, for example, after 12th grade, you choose a major, and then that's what you focus on for three years, and you have pretty much nothing else. And I didn't want to do that. I felt like I wasn't ready to commit to just being one thing and doing one thing. And obviously, at 17, who knows what they're going to do? So I wanted to get a liberal arts education and uh, test out different options and I was really really happy with that so um, and that's when I I, you know I double major which is something you can't do in the you can't do in India and I had literature Mm -hmm. and psychology as my majors and after I did undergrad school I ended up I was going to be a clinical psychologist but I ended up doing journalism as a course of study because I wasn't I wasn't confident enough to just step into the workspace and I felt like I needed skills but I realized that what drew me to both literature and psychology was people's stories. I'm inherently nosy. And I thought, journalism, I can just be paid to be and tell people's stories. So then, and that I think has just led to radio because radio is my favorite. It's the most, I'm preaching to the choir here, but to me, it's the most intimate and accessible way of being in somebody else's headspace and, and looking through their eyes at what they're experiencing so it all came together in radio and podcasting
2: so uh, i'm just naturally curious so this is why i dig in (laughs) regular listeners will know that uh, i'm 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 curious about like origin stories and i'm so this drive that you have where you because you basically made it clear that the education you were receiving was not going to be enough to satisfy you know, let's say your intellectual curiosity. Can you identify? Like, is is that a trait that is just independent? Is that run your family? Is that your parents? Is like where where did that spark or that that light shine? And where you said like, because a lot of people are are perfectly happy with the education they're they're receiving, and then and they you know they they don't seek to to learn or or seek elsewhere. So, can you identify, or have you ever given a thought to where that might be coming from?
0: I have not. Um I'm not sure where it comes from. I guess I, I mean, I'm really privileged. Um, I am lucky as well to to have been able to dream of doing that and then translating that into a reality. A lot of people in my country just cannot even think about affording it. And I got scholarships uh, throughout. I would not have been able to get there on the Indian rupee. Mm-hmm. But um, also, so my, my mom's side of the family is, White, um, widely traveled, and my mother did a little bit of college in the U.S. And she'd always sort okay. of held that out as, "Oh, you know, that that was an amazing experience, and you should think about it." And so it, that door had already opened for me, and I had an uh, two aunts actually, in, in three aunts in the U.S. already. It was an option from the start, and I think I was self-aware enough, maybe from my family. Um, just being sort of intellectually curious people they are, but also the amount of books I'd read. And yeah, you know, I think it's like the lottery of birth, really. I was was just lucky to Mm. have been born into a family that could think of these things. You know, both my grandparents from my mom's side were doctors. They had also traveled a lot. Um, My mom had studied in the US. My father had gone away to study and come back as well. And so I wasn't limited in what I could think of. Through exposure, I think I knew what was out there and that what I had was not enough. So, one of the things I remember thinking at 17 is that uh, the college I was in, I was doing psychology, they have told us at the beginning of the year that all this information in these books is outdated, like it's been proved wrong, but because our education board has not approved uh, updated textbooks, understand that this is wrong, but in the exam you will be tested on this, so you have to use <laughs> the wrong answers, and this was our our professor what? telling us this. And I remember being locked and just thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Wow. I was so I felt so betrayed by the system that I really started to just feel so confined and wanted to get out. So yeah, uh, both both of those things. I think just extreme luck, and I'm yeah you know, grateful for where I was, able, was, and where I was able to get.
2: So you mentioned your, your passion for books. Uh, are there a couple that stand out for you that uh, have made an impact on your life?
0: Oh, don't ask me that. It's so difficult, so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Murrow Boy, that's a good one for radio people.
2: The Murrow Boy, as in Edward R. Murrow? Yes,
0: yes. It's about how he set up stuff at Columbia, CBS, rather. Right? Wow. Yeah, that, that's it. I'm going to stop other there. one? No, no. <laughs> <I'm> gonna...
2: <laughs> <laughs> one more, one more. Okay, I'll tell you about just, just one,
0: more. one I just read. And again, it has a radio um, connection. So it's, it's a contemporary historical fiction by Kate Atkinson called Transcriptionist. And that was that was interesting. It's something I read recently. And she works at a broadcasting house at the BBC, where I was lucky enough to spend a month last year working on some projects for a BBC show that I love that does solutions journalism called People Fixing the World. And so, of course, I felt extra connected because I knew where mm. all the, the roads were and what the rooms looked like. Uh, so, yeah, that is one interesting book. It didn't change my life or really. anything.
2: What do you look for when you're reading a book, and how do you know when one has captured your attention?
0: I'm pretty indiscriminate. I read anything, I read the uh, backs of shampoo bottles if there's nothing to read. <laughs> and uh, I, I I like to be entertained. You know, one of the reasons I didn't pursue anything to do with my literature or become like a literary reviewer or anything is because I don't think I'm that deep a reader. I just want to like the story, like the protagonist and, mm-hmm. and learn something and be transported. And yeah, I'm easy to please. So I read across genres and uh, I, I'm also... Flighty, like i I finish something and and I'll log in on Goodreads and see somebody else's recommendation and it looks good and I'm like okay <laughs> I'll just read that. So I have huge like pending lists of all kinds of books to read and and then I, I also try to switch between them. Like I won't read two nonfiction books back to back. I need a palate cleanser and then move on to like a different kind of book. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, I
2: think it's um. Yeah, there's no right way, and I've re- I've heard, I've re- been listening to a couple of podcasts. I think one was from Jim Collins, author of Good to Great, talking uh-huh. about uh, how he re and and there's no like commitment to books where if he, if he's reading one and he's not no longer interested. I think it was him, but uh, but the the concept was you don't have to be married or, or to the fact that just because you started a book that yes. you're required to finish it. So it
0: took me very long to embrace that. I felt uh, yeah. compelled to finish stuff I'd started. And then I met somebody mm-hmm. who is at a party. And he said, but think of the books you're not reading while you're studying with mm-hmm. one. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this just turns it around. And <laughs> Yes, oh, I could be reading something else in this.
2: Oh, sorry. It was Naval Ravikant. That's how I remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you if you follow him, but if his his interview with um, Joe Rogan is one of the it was the number one listened to episode according to Breaker for 2019.
0: I missed that boat. I will listen immediately.
2: Yeah, he's fascinating. It's funny because he's very um, logical in terms of his thinking, and he's and he's got me down this rabbit hole of systems thinking now, mm. which I'm following all these people, and I find the concept very fascinating. So I'm. Farnham Street is my new uh, podcast Rabbit Hog. All <laughs> right. they've got some inter- just very deep thinkers there and, and it makes makes my head hurt a little <laughs> bit but I, I take I take that as a good I take that as a good
0: sign. yes those are your brain cells expanding and the neurons firing harder.
2: And what's funny about that dynamic is he has a brother named Kamal Ravikant who is more heart centered. Oh. And I heard him on another podcast talking about like love and um, forgiveness and stuff like that. So.
0: <laughs> so interesting. All right. I will check out yeah. Mr. Ravikant on the Joe
2: Rogan Expo. So since you mentioned you read shampoo bottles, I have to ask you what's your favorite shampoo that you've read recently then? <laughs> You don't have
0: to, <laughs> I, I can resist because it will, fe- it will feel like I'm giving them a plug.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. This episode sponsored by, Yeah. Um, what was the experience like when you um, first landed in the U.S.? Oh
0: my goodness. So I, um, ha- I knew the U.S. from books, from movies and from Baywatch.
2: Uh, that's hilarious. Everyone uses the Baywatch example. It's so funny. It,
0: Baywatch is what everybody wanted to see, you know. Uh, it was,
2: of course. And the bold
0: yeah, and the yeah. beautiful. So this is, you know, what I assume
2: Oh my like. god.
0: And I ended up in the Boondocks. I um so I am I'm am, uh, going to date myself here, but I came to the US at the beginning of the internet and there was no way to really okay. check anything. There was, well, there was <laughs> Online, I got a brochure in the mail on the College of Information. It was in the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, that's, it was pretty. <laughs> I'm struggling for of course. other things. So I, it was in the Bible Belt in Tennessee, the buckle of the Bible Belt, really. Like you couldn't throw a stone in the air without hitting a church.
2: Wait, that's where, you, that's where you arrived?
0: That's where I went to college, yeah.
2: Wow. It was
0: not like TV at all.
2: No, <laughs> not like Baywatch at all.
0: No, no, not even like the Bone of the Beautiful. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Quite different. Uh, amazing sunsets. No, the school was really nice. I, it was also a small yeah. school, which I had chosen on purpose. I had realized back in India that all the classes I did well in were tiny. And so basically I'm, I do well with attention. So if the teacher has uh, you know time and patience to focus on me, Then I, Mm -hmm. well, I tried. And uh, I went to a massive high school. We had 860 people in our graduating class, if you can imagine that. That's usually the strength of an entire school. This was just our graduating class. And our classes were like 50 people strong. So, Mm. I mean, this this is the reality in India generally. So I found that the classes that were large, um, because they had to appeal to people of different strengths, intelligence, competence, background. Uh, I didn't do well on them. (laughs) I was bored. (laughs) So I I ended up in a tiny liberal arts college and I did really well. I graduated summa cum laude and I don't think I, maybe I wouldn't have done that if I'd gone to like a Columbia or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. One other thing that you did there, if LinkedIn is to be believed, is you were part of the choir. (laughs) I
0: was. Yes, indeed. (laughs) <laughs> I, for a while i could sort of sight read music but it was great i enjoyed it
2: so is there um any particular challenges or is this a a, a ongoing thread of like expressing your voice so singing in choir and then you're now a pod, in the podcasting room?
0: oh i still sing i just have a limited audience <laughs> in my house
2: <laughs>
0: okay. but yeah no I, I like i yeah i don't know i guess i've just always been really vocal I started talking really early. <laughs> I haven't stopped. Okay. I haven't stopped.
2: <laughs> Who in your family would be, you can answer either one of these, the most surprise or the most supportive in terms of where you've ended up now with, um, with your podcasting career?
0: I think the answer to both is my father. So my father mm. had one employer his whole life he started as a management trainee in a company and ended up as the ceo he worked there for more than 40 years he was i think both his children are kind of uh, I'm, i don't know what the word is I and mean, he's not horrified but he's definitely <laughs> startled by how how unstructured our work lives are. yeah and how i think i've never had i when i had jobs i've never had a job longer than three years and uh, same for my brother Actually, his record's probably even shorter. But um, he's seen me struggle. He's seen, I mean, he's lent me money as an adult uh, mm-hmm. because yeah. this hasn't been the most lucrative career path that I have chosen for myself. First of all, you're never going to get rich as a journalist. And second, mm-hmm. a podcaster. <laughs> it's not... Not
2: yet. not yet. Not yet. Yes,
0: I'm not really raking in the moolah. So... But he's seen uh, the recognition. He's, he's the person who reads my contracts for me when I get them. And okay. He's, yeah. he's super supportive. So, yeah, I think both surprised and supportive. Dad's in the lead.
2: I'm sure some of these questions you probably weren't even expecting. <laughs> <laughs> A couple others as, that I usually have when, as we wrap up the, the conversation. Um, what's something that you've changed your mind about recently?
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. let me think about that (sighs) recently well I think I'm really really liberal and it's been difficult to acknowledge that people I respect and like can be on such such a different wavelength when it comes to certain world events and local politics and so I'm trying to embrace that. I haven't changed my mind, but I find obviously I can't just junk them and and unfriend them in real life. I can do that on Facebook. So I have uh, tried not to just brush them off as being wholly wrong, but try to understand why they are thinking a certain way and give them a little leverage for that. I don't know. That doesn't really answer your question. Um, Have I changed my mind?
2: No, it's interesting because I've had this, uh, I've had a couple of people on the show in the past whose ideologies, let's say, are different than mine. And what I've come to appreciate and understand is we need to be able to have more of these conversations with people that we don't necessarily agree with. And so we can disagree with, but without being disagreeable.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes I do change my mind in the middle of trying to perhaps, well, it's not argue, but to have a dialogue with somebody when I realize that it isn't a dialogue anymore. Like I'm not getting through, mm. So I back off and I'm trying to choose my battles. I'm very passionate about certain things that are happening, especially in India right now, but also across the world. People are not going to be exactly the same as me. And of course, all of us live in an echo chamber, right? We're surrounded by the people mm-hmm. who think like us. And then yeah. suddenly sometimes it's a surprise to find out that like, oh, this one person. They don't agree, and and then the reasons <laughs> yeah. for why they feel that way. While on, you know, in in the global sense of things, they are a lovely person with compassion and empathy most of the time. So, yeah, life is hard sometimes. <laughs> These are trying
1: times.
2: Yes, yes, they definitely are. And I think um, being open to providing platforms that can allow for this type of dialogue is really important. And I think podcasters have that platform. And so to the extent that we can let people know that, yes, you can, you know, speak what you have to speak. And as long as we are able to be civil and and understand each other, I think yeah. sometimes there, there's actually a skill and it's probably related to the ability to, to either debate, but also understand how you can ask mm-hmm. a provoking or um follow-up question in a way that doesn't make the other person feel like they're being attacked exactly. so it, I'm, it's a, it's definitely a skill
0: well I, i'm not sure i have it but i, <laughs> I think at least yeah. i'm learning to back off when i feel like there, yes the dialogue well, that's but, a start yeah
2: what's uh the most misunderstood thing about you
0: <laughs> oh i don't know i feel like i'm an open book <laughs> <laughs> Um. I really don't know.
2: What if we asked one of your family members?
0: Hmm. I think, well, you know, they'd be right too. I think my mother thinks I have a really bad temper, but (laughs) Mm. maybe, you know, there are certain things that only your family sees of you because one, your relationship with them is different. Two, uh, they know all your buttons. And three, you can sort of be yourself with them because of course, once you lost your temper, there will be forgiveness and we'll just have to carry on because we're family forever.
2: That's true. Blood is thicker than water.
0: Yeah, also, I think our family is a little volatile, but then we're quick to move on.
2: Yeah. Well, Shabhi, uh, I think uh, this has been a definitely wide-ranging conversation mm-hmm. and I appreciate you I appreciate uh, you being a good sport um, and just educating me and educating our listeners into what's possible, what's happening uh are a bit of your story in terms of the podcasting because i think it's just fascinating and i and i love to bring more people on that are you know paying in the picture of what's happening around the world and especially in a country with so much potential as india i feel honored that uh we our paths have crossed and and I, i've been able to share your story
0: well thank you very much for having me and of course i am happy that our our tribe is increasing podcasters no. yes <laughs>
2: So uh, where's the best place for folks to connect with you online, if anyone wants to, to do that after our conversation?
0: Well, I'm on Twitter quite a lot, both as uh, Sonolog, which is my production house, S-O-N-O-L-O-G-U-E, and also Chavi, and uh, my website, sonolog.com, S-O-N-O-L-O-G-U-E.com.
2: And we'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Um,
0: Thank you, Harry.
2: For time traveling with me.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>
1: So thanks again to Chavi for joining me at a challenging hour and even more challenging getting us connected. I think we spent close to about half an hour trying to make a connection work and it was a mix of tech and not the strongest Wi-Fi signals, but we were able to make it happen and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to her learn what's happening and share with you what's happening in India. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Focusrite, maker of the Scarlett 2i2 sound card. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'll be in Orlando at PodFest the week of March 4th. So if you're there, make sure we connect. I'd love to meet up, trying to work on scheduling an official Podcast Junkies meetup on the HOVA app, W-H-O-V-A. So if you're going to PodFest, make sure you sign up to the app to see what's happening there. I mentioned a couple of services that I've been testing out to engage with and get promotion for the episode. Regular listeners will know that I'm a big fan of Podchaser, but there's a couple of other services that I've been checking out. Number one is ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. You can claim your profile and your show there. They have a free service and a paid service, and I highly recommend checking it out as a way to engage your listeners. I'd invite you to check it out and write a review for this podcast. They've made it incredibly easy for you to rate on all the top locations where we're rating podcasts now. Which include Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Stitcher. Another service which is fun to try out is buymeacoffee.com. You can check out my page at podcastjunkies.com forward slash coffee. Again, these are small, micropayment enabling sites that allow you to engage with your listeners in a fun way and have them see what's happening and see how they can support you. Don't forget, we have a Facebook group just for listeners of the show. It's called Podcast Junkies Junkies on Facebook. Thanks again to Cedar and Soil for producing the music that goes into this episode and this podcast and has been doing so since the beginning of 2014. Full podcast production and marketing provided by fullcast.co, our full service podcast production consultancy. If you made it this far, you're no doubt listening for the retention hashtag. This week, let's make it Chavi in India. So I'll give you a hand with the spelling of that. Chavi is two H's. So it's C-H-H-A-V-I in india hashtag chavi in india and you can tag her on two channels her handles are chavi c-h-h-a-v-i and sonologue s-o-n-o-l-o-g-u-e that's chavi with two h's C-E-H-H-A-V-I, and sonologue at s-o-n-o-l-o-g-u-e and of course we can tag me at podcast underscore junkies tune in next week for my engaging conversation with juan sepulveda host of several podcasts including the gentleman's brotherhood we've known each other for over a year at least now and keep running into each other at podcasting conferences and finally had a chance to sit down and have a really good conversation i think you'll really enjoy that one thanks for everything you do to support the show hope you have a fantastic day